it's almost a bad habit actually for me anytime I have to write something like that to say that I'm let me just raise this up a little bit uh, to say that I'm from Fredericton uh, that's sort of true uh, really where I'm from is really uh, no one's ever heard of it so Fredericton just seems easier um, if you've ever been in the Fredericton area uh, basically you drive I'd say like 20 minutes out of town to a place called Burke's Corner um, and I know Ben Foreman's come here and preached before he's from Burke's Corner so I knew him growing up um, but I was further past that so when you got to Burke's Corner you turned onto a dirt road uh, drove down that about 15 minutes uh, and then you get to this uh, spot where the dirt road turned into an urban logging trail and just before the logging trail that's where my house was uh, in a little church called the Doran Ridge Church of Christ and that's where my dad uh, was the pastor for a little over 20 years um, so most of my childhood um, well I guess all of my childhood he was there and so I was out there um, most of the time um, not a lot of kids to play with uh, it wasn't called a town or even a community it was really considered a settlement um, but if you've ever driven in rural New Brunswick on the roads, um, you know that even on the paved roads, when you get into the country, it's all, all bets are off for safety for driving. Uh, a lot of broken pavement and potholes. Uh, now our road, the dirt road, um, with uh, I should have said about 20 people live on this road. Um, on a, you know, <laughs> in a good year, people kind of come and go. A lot of uh, hunting camps. So trying to drive down that with a car, uh, if you didn't have a truck or an SUV, um, you were in trouble. <laughs> um, there was a lot of potholes. You couldn't dodge all of them. Half the time, the road was just completely washed out. So there comes a point um, when you live on a road like that where you realize that uh, about two or three times a year that you need an alignment, uh, sometimes more than that. Um, and my dad's car was always out of alignment. I think there comes a point when you just kind of give up when you live on a road like that. Um, by the time you got home, the car was out of alignment if you just got it aligned, so what's the point? And I think that in the life of a Christian, it can kind of be similar. There's a lot of potholes and bumps in the road of life, uh, and that can kind of throw us out of alignment with God's plan for us. Uh, and we start to do things our way. It might be slow and you don't even notice that it's kind of uh, happened, that you've gotten out of alignment um, with God's plan. Uh, we try to start making God adapt to our plans and to, to our life goals. Uh, and we pray, uh, but we don't often listen for, for what God has to say to us. Uh, and there comes a point in the life of every Christian, many points, I think, when, when this happens and we need to find um, a realignment for ourselves with God. And, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today. Uh, I know it's a few weeks after New Year's when normally people would talk about, you know, this kind of stuff. Um, but it was just kind of resonating with me, so I just thought I would uh, talk about that today a little bit. We're going to look at a couple of classic Bible stories. And when we're doing uh, Sunday school lessons, um, usually what we do is we, we take one story that... that, that is really interesting and we teach that and there's nothing wrong with that uh, but what we sometimes um, can forget is that uh, we're kind of opening up it's kind of like opening up a novel in the middle and reading a chapter and you it, it, there's a good story there but we kind of don't see what's going on around it and there's nothing wrong with that but it's also cool to see what is going around um, 
around the story. And so today we're going to look at a couple um, stories you probably have heard before, um, but they're really, uh, in, in this, they're one story. Uh, and so we're going to be reading uh, a couple stories together. Uh, and what we're going to see is that uh, even Jesus' own disciples, uh, the people that he personally handpicked to lead the church when he was going back to heaven, um, those people too needed realignment with God. So we're going to look at that, uh, a couple stories. Um, I'll pray to get it going, and then we'll jump in. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for a new year. And I thank you that even in the craziness of the, the world and the times that we're in, that we have your peace and that we have your spirit, and that we know that there's nothing to be afraid of because our hope is in you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. So I'm going to start with a little context of the time that this whole story of the New Testament was written in, uh, the story of the Gospels. Just a little bit of background. Probably a lot of it will be more refresher for a lot of you, uh, but just to kind of bring it to the forefront of our minds as we go into the story. So uh, as, as you know, um, the Jews that were living in Israel at that time were living under Roman rule. Uh, they returned from captivity. Um, I want to say about 400-ish years ago, um, back to their homeland, a few centuries prior from Babylon. But ever since then, they've basically, for the most part, been oppressed by one nation or another. Uh, one nation would come in and conquer them, and another one would come in and conquer those people. Uh, so there was lots of changing leadership in the area over the centuries, but um, more or less, the Israelites were still under some kind of oppressing government. Uh, they've not really been an independent nation. And because originally, if, if you read some of the, the prophets in the Old Testament, um, they'd gone into exile originally as punishment for their sin. Uh, they still saw themselves as being in a sort of spiritual exile because they weren't an independent nation yet. So even though they were back in their own land, um, they still saw themselves as being in an exile. And to them, what would signal the return from the exile would be the coming of a Messiah who would restore Israel to its previous status in the world uh, and establish a new kingdom. And to them, that was the sign that, that God was once again with them. I think it's in Ezekiel you see the, the spirit of God leaving the temple when they go into exile. And they don't really have, um, they don't believe that he's come back yet. And so they, they really are looking for this Messiah to come and restore the nation of Israel back to what it was. So... Given that context, everyone was looking for a very specific type of Messiah. They were looking for a warrior, someone who was strong and mighty. Um, and that you've probably heard that before. Um, something that's interesting that you might not have known is that during that time, there were actually quite a few people claiming to be the Messiah. Uh, and most of them were leading rebel groups. Uh, they were trying to overthrow the Romans. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of that going on. Um, actually, a lot of people, there's not... We're kind of guessing a bit, but um, if you remember when um, Jesus was on trial and um, they, they asked whether they wanted to free Jesus or Barabbas, and they said, oh, free this Barabbas guy, uh, a lot of people believe he was actually the leader of a rebel group, uh, one of these groups. And so it was very clear that they had a specific type of Messiah they were looking for, including Jesus' disciples. So after Jesus had died and risen from the dead, before uh, Jesus had gone to heaven, and this is before the disciples had received the Holy Spirit, 
Uh, they gathered around him in Acts 1, verse 6, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the nation of Israel? So even after everything that happened, they didn't actually understand yet. Um, and so clearly, even after all that, if Jesus' disciples still had that idea, um, it was a very prominent idea that there was going to be a Messiah to come in and challenge the kingdom. So um, obviously what we know of Jesus today, having the full picture, uh, he didn't really fit that mold of what they were expecting. So let's look at the passage. Uh, if you have your Bible, it's going to be John 16. Uh, and this is going to be kind of cutting in the middle of two stories. Uh, so it's going to be verses 14 through 21. I'll read it out loud. So starting at verse 14, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, and this is right after he fed 5,000 people, plus uh, women and children, the whole five loaves, two fish story. After he'd done this miraculous sign, the people began to say, surely this is the prophet who is coming to the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Okay, so in this story, um, or these two stories, Jesus feeds 5,000 people, plus we're not sure how many women and children, because it says 5,000 men. Um, so we assume there was a lot of people, five loaves of bread, two fish to do all of it. It's a miracle. Uh, now, for everyone during that day and age who was there, it was really exciting. The crowd wants to make him king. He, they see that he's the Messiah. The exile is now over. The Romans are going to be run out of town. It's going to be amazing. On top of that, he can whip up an all-you-can-eat buffet with almost no food at will. So they're very excited. Um, you know, I know that we like potlucks nowadays, and they loved having a free meal then, too. Um, so everyone's excited about it, except for Jesus. And this is the interesting part. Instead of allowing the crowd to make him king, it says that he withdrew. And the Greek word here is often translated um, took refuge, ran, or hid. So we use the word withdrew like he was kind of like, all right, I'm not comfortable with this. I'm going to back out. But you almost get this idea that he ran away from this crowd to a mountain. Now this story... Of the, of the feeding of the 5,000 and the, the walking on water. It also appears in Matthew and Mark. And there we see in those stories that Jesus essentially forced his disciples to leave him and go to the other side of the lake without him. Uh, and, and forced probably because they didn't want to leave. Because for them, this was the moment Jesus would be crowned king. Because, again, this was the whole cultural idea, so his disciples were probably just as excited as the crowd. And so, when he forces them to leave and then runs from the crowd, it's certainly not what his disciples were expecting him to do. And it's probably why he had to force them to leave. And, and I imagine 
if I were to put myself in their shoes, they were probably starting to have some doubts at this point. I mean, Jesus finally has his chance to restore the kingdom of Israel. Why is he running away? So then we move to the Sea of Galilee and to this storm. So at this point, Jesus is on a mountain by himself, and the disciples have left across the lake to go to a town called Capernaum. And about halfway across this sea, it's not a huge sea, um, but it, also had, it always had a lot of storms. So uh, even today, um, there's the way that this lake kind of sits in, the wind kind of sweeps down and causes a lot of um, choppy water to come out of nowhere. Uh, and so a lot of people, because the boats they had there weren't anything like what we have now, um, you could find yourself caught in quite a, a mess pretty quick uh, if you were out there at the wrong time. So they're about halfway out and one of these storms hits, and it's a really bad one. And then they see Jesus walking on water. So obviously they're terrified. And I always try and put myself into their shoes when I read these types of stories, you know. It's easy now for me with the full context of who Jesus is to read that and be like, oh yeah, Jesus walking on water. They didn't have that yet. They thought he was a mighty warrior coming to restore the nation of Israel. Walking on water is a whole other thing. <laughs> So, like, if you're out, you know, on a fishing boat and you see someone walking on water, like, you know, that would probably freak you out a little bit. But then Jesus speaks and he says, It is I, do not be afraid. And I want to talk about that statement for a minute because I believe it's the pinnacle of that entire story. See, the, the phrase here, when he says, It is I, ego a me in Greek, it's translated as, It is I in this uh, translation, but the very literal translation of that phrase is, I am, fear not. Now, he uses that phrase, the I am phrase, often in the book of John. You see it a lot, um, Jesus using it. You've probably heard of the I am statements, like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. But he also uses it sometimes as a divinity statement. Uh, because this phrase, I am, is very connected in their culture to uh, God's name um, when he's speaking to Moses. Well, when Moses asks him who to say sent him, he says, tell them that before, um, I don't know, that's Jesus. Uh, he says, I am sent you. Uh, and, and so it's, it's really become the name of God throughout the Jewish history to the point where they don't even use the name most of the time because they don't want to take his name in vain. Um, and so an example of this would be John 8, 58. Jesus says to the Pharisees, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And to us reading that, it's like, okay, that's kind of weird. But after he said that, the Jews tried to stone him to death because in their understanding of the language and what he was saying, he was essentially claiming to be God at that point. Well, not say he was claiming to be God, and they picked up on that. It wasn't um, misunderstood. So, so based on the context of our passage today, um, I think when Jesus says this, uh, ego a me, in John 6, I think it's quite likely he's making a divinity statement. That's completely my opinion. You're allowed to disagree. Uh, there is... Um, a lot of conversation about it in commentaries and such. Um, not offended if anyone disagrees with me. Um, but I believe that because of the context of the passage and this story. I think that because the disciples were clearly in bad need of a realignment, 
Um, he, he knew that. He tried to give them a wake-up call. Because they were expecting a Messiah who was going to overthrow the government and, and establish a new kingdom, just like everyone else was expecting that. And when the chance finally came, Jesus forced them to leave and then fled to a mountain. And they haven't seen them since. So they're crossing the lake. They don't know what's going on. They're probably talking amongst themselves. They're probably disappointed and confused. And then Jesus comes to them walking on water in the middle of a huge storm and tells them, I am, do not fear. And I think that the reaction to this statement is what convinces me the most that this is a divinity statement. Uh, because Mark 6, this is Mark's um, telling of this story. Um, it says, then he climbed to the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. We kind of don't get that verse when we read it as just its own story, but when we read it with the feeding of the 5,000, uh, it kind of gives more context. They didn't understand it with the loaves, and their hearts were hard. And then in Matthew 14, it says, Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God, which to me seems like the proper reaction to all of that in that context. The disciples needed a realignment. They they put Jesus into this box. They believed he was going to be this great military leader who would restore the nation of Israel. But God's plans were so much bigger than that. And it was so much bigger they couldn't actually see it because it was so different than what they were expecting. They thought that they were following God's will and seeking God's plan. But they didn't actually see what God was doing right in front of their eyes. They needed a realignment. And I think that reading this about the disciples, it's a good reminder for us, too, that sometimes we need a realignment, too. So let's talk about that for a minute. Understanding that it's okay to need a realignment, because the disciples did, and, you know, they started the whole church after Jesus left, so if they need a realignment once in a while, it's okay for us to need one as individuals. So do you think that the church of today, the, the big C church, uh, do you think that it's aligned with God's plan for the world? Are, are we seeking his will? Are we seeking his plans for us? Or are we trying to get him on board with our plans? Do we need a realignment as individuals? Are we personally seeking the things of God? And so I want to go through like a quick self-evaluation. Um, this is just some of the things Jesus gave us to do. Uh, and see how we're doing. It's not meant as a judgment, um, or else I'd fail. <laughs> uh, and that would be kind of sad. So, um, <laughs> But it's just something to kind of evaluate. You know, none of us are perfect, so if you're, if you're slamming all of these, awesome, like, tell me your secrets. Um, but just, just something to see how we're doing personally with God. Um, obviously, don't answer it loud. So, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this is our mission, uh, designated by Jesus, uh, for the church at large, the church across the world, this is our mission. We're actually going to talk about this for the next couple of weeks, um, the Great Commission. So 
I guess the question here is how are we doing about this uh, as individuals? Uh, are we seeking to follow God's will in this? John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So we're to love one another. The church is supposed to love each other, and we're supposed to love others. And by that, um, which is also in John, uh, Jesus' prayer, um, I believe it's the one on the mount, he says that this, or not the mount, um, the garden, before he goes to the cross, he says that this is how the world will know that we are disciples of Jesus. And so my question for that one is, how are we doing in that department? Um, you know, I, I just think about how much I love the person in front of me when I'm driving on the road sometimes to know how well I'm doing in that department. There are 47 one another verses in the New Testament. Uh, and they're all instructions directly given to followers of Jesus. So here's a few big ones. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble about one another. Gently and patiently tolerate one another. Confess sins to one another. Love one another. Give preference to one another in love. Serve one another. Be subject to one another. And here's one that I think is good for um, <laughs> Christians today on social media. That's all I'll say. Clothe yourself in humility toward one another. Be devoted to one another. Through love, serve one another. So how are we doing with those individually? And as the church, universal. I think that there comes a time, many times, in the life of every Christian where we need to realign ourselves with God's plan. Um, and I definitely think we need to realign as the church with a big C uh, and come back to what's important. What is God's plan and God's will for the church, for you and for me? We need to start praying for the things of God and seeking the things of God. Praying for the things of God is a concept that was introduced to me by one of my professors at Maritime Christian College. And it sounds like just one of those things you say, but it kind of actually, you know, made me think for a minute, you know, what does it mean to pray for the things of God rather than the things I want and need? Not that petition's bad, um, and we're told to pray for things in the New Testament, but what does it look like to pray for the things of God, um, to ask for his will to be filled in our lives and in the world and the church? We need to align ourselves with his plan and his will. The people of Jesus' day wanted a revolution, and they really got one, but it was not the revolution they expected. God's plans will always be bigger than our plans. They, they just wanted freedom for their nation. They just wanted uh, an independent nation with a king. But Jesus gave them freedom for their souls. Isaiah 43, 19 says, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. They wanted freedom from oppressing nations, but he freed them from the chains of sin and gave them a way to finally be right with God, not, not through sacrifices, not by following a rule book, but by putting their faith 
in the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus Christ. And so we have to realize that God is always on the move. Even today, he's doing new things in the world. And we need to be seeking his will and his plans and align ourselves with his. His ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are bigger than our thoughts. We have to align with his plans and his will. And I sound like a broken record saying this, um, but I really want it to be something that everyone thinks about on the way home. Um, what does it look like? What do we need to do um, to realign with God? What do we need to do as a big C church? What do we need to do as individuals? Uh, I believe that to thrive as Christians and as individuals, we need to be aligned with God's plan and his will for our lives and our church and our community. And if we seek his will and his plan, he'll bless that. It doesn't mean be perfect, because we can't. Um, but it just means to seek his will, and seek his plan, and seek his purpose. So I'm going to finish with six summarizing ideas. Uh, these are kind of takeaways. Um, what are some things we can do to realign with God and to try and stay aligned with God? I'm going to fly through these. A lot of them are going to sound obvious. Uh, but it's really just kind of food for thought. And they're not exclusive, obviously. So the first is walk with God. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And so, again, a lot of these are going to sound obvious, but just kind of think about, you know, what does that actually look like um, for me to do, uh, to, to not lean on my own understanding? Second is surrender your will to God's. Many times when we say we're seeking God's will, what we actually would like to say is, okay, God, here's what I'm planning to do. I just need you to rubber stamp it, and we'll be good. No, if, if we're seeking his will, we have to be ready to do what he asks when he shows us his will, even if it's completely opposite to what we wanted. Romans 12, verses 1 to 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And this one's a good one for today, I think. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Third, Obey what you already know to be God's will. You know, a lot of times we, we're, pre, we're um, praying and asking, you know, like, God, I just want to know what your plan is for me, um, what you want me to do with my life. Uh, but sometimes we forget that 98% of his ill will for our lives is right here. Um, it's been printed in 27 million different translations. Um, you can get it with study notes. You can get it however you want. There's uh, all this instruction for our lives. That doesn't mean trying to follow a rule book and being perfect, but it does mean that you have a tool to seek the things of God. Fourth is seek godly input. So if you don't have at least one godly mentor in your life, you should get one. Uh, Proverbs 11.14 says, Where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Um, you know, however long you've been a Christian, Having godly input is always valuable. Uh, some of the strongest Christians I know who are, you know, a lot older, 
they have mentors and, and people that they look up to and that they talk to about these things. Uh, and I, I just don't think, um, I don't think I can stress enough um, how important it is to have someone that you can go to or multiple things that people you can go to um, to seek godly input. You know, if, if you're sure God's calling you to do this thing and you've got three people who you value their opinion and trust and who are godly people and they're saying, no, you should not do that. Like, that is not a good idea. Probably it's worth considering that maybe they're right. Fifth, listen to God's spirit. And this is important for today because we're really good at filling our lives with noise. Um, the TV and radio is always on. We consume way more screen time than it's healthy. Um, I think, you know, they've talked a lot about um, the mental health issues during the pandemic, and it's a real problem. Uh, I think the number one step to have a, a good, um, healthy <laughs> um, life in today's day and age is to turn off the news. Because, <laughs> uh, my goodness. <laughs> or, like, it's, it's good to, to know what's going on in the world, but a lot of it's just repeating the same stuff over and over, and it's not healthy, and then you start to to obsess over things, and it's just not good. Sometimes when we pray, we need to, to stop saying words and listen instead. When's the last time that we actually just listened and said, okay, God, I want to know what your will and plan is for my life. Speak to me. Um, and didn't have all the noise. John 10, verse 21 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And sixth and last, take a look at your circumstances. God often will demonstrate his plan for us through lining up with circumstances. Again, these aren't exclusive. It's not like it's always going to happen this way. Um, but sometimes when a door closes and another one opens, just go through the door. Um, a lot of times we want to beat on the door and bang on the door and try and force our way through. Um, but sometimes a closed door is a sign of where God doesn't want us to go. And an open door is God guiding our feet. And rather than experiencing frustration when we hit a closed door, consider that maybe God's directing you to something else. So these are just a few ways to, to realign with God's will. Uh, I don't claim to be an expert on realigning. Obviously, I need to realign as much as the next guy, sometimes even more. Um, but it's a process that never ends. Um, just like when you're driving a car on the back roads in New Brunswick, um, if you're getting an alignment, it's probably not the first one you've gotten, and it definitely won't be the last. Um, as, as long as you keep driving over potholes of life, you're gonna keep getting out of alignment, you're gonna need to keep putting it back in, and that's fine. But we need to constantly be on guard, and constantly seek him in his will, and constantly seek to realign ourselves with him, because God is good, and his ways are so much bigger than our ways. I'm going to close with 2 Thessalonians 3.5 as a wish for us all and kind of a prayer. Uh, May the Lord redirect your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. I'll close in prayer. Father God, I thank you primarily for all that you've done and who you are and for your son Jesus. I thank you that your ways are so much bigger than our ways because sometimes we just don't know what we're doing. I just ask that you would help to guide our feet and to help us stay aligned with your plan and to seek your plan. I just ask that you would forgive us when we go astray 
because we're not perfect, but we want to try. Just ask that you be with us this week as we go home and to work and bless our time uh, here and as we go forward. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.